0: Yo, what's happening runners? Welcome back to another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and everything in between. My name is Lloyd, I'll be a host for today's episode, and I'm absolutely buzzing to be able to sit down today and talk to Great Britain athlete, Matthew Stonia. He's a 1500 metre specialist, last season, had a huge breakthrough year where he competed at the European Championships The Commonwealth Games, he ran a PB of 332 and he won the prestigious event, the Emsley Car Mile. Now, before we get into that interview with Matthew, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do leave us a review here. Head over to our Instagram, drop us a follow, or you can check out our website, trackster.com, where we'll be putting a load of content from sessions with athletes, interviews from different events around the UK and the wider world, and of course, uploading all of these episodes. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Welcome, Matthew Stonia. Hey, Matt, how are we doing, mate?
1: Good, thanks. You?
0: Yes, yes. Excellent, excellent. How's a, how's a standard Wednesday going for you?
1: Better than most Wednesdays, actually. I arrived in Portugal last night. Uh, right. So sat in an apartment in Albuferra. Uh First time here, actually, so looking forward to it.
0: Are you on a, on, a, on a training camp?
1: Yeah, so I've got three weeks here, uh, basically with the Loughborough guys, uh, pretty much everyone from Loughborough is coming down, spread from Albuquerque to Villamora. Uh, those that have been there before probably know roughly where it is, but yeah, first time here, looks good. First run today, sweating ridiculously, so it's working so far.
0: And how far are you from the iconic uh, cross-country course? About
1: 500 metres oh that's scout out on this morning's run it's looking a bit dry for most cross-country courses
0: yeah i, I went there on a camp years ago and um the cross-country courses has seen better days funnily enough once upon a time held a european cross-country meet which if you look at it now you probably can't imagine well no. once upon a time it was it was a good course but yeah if you get to do a session on there it's it's a great little loop it'll, it'll, it'll be a good one for you yeah i'll give that a go yeah so it's a great location as well, Portugal. Um, you know, good food, um, good runs, good trails, and you're not too far from a pub if you want a cheeky cheeky pint
1: as yeah, well. Out, out a couple of restaurants on this morning's walk to the uh, supermarket, so got a few lined up. Brilliant, excellent. And you mentioned there you're you're out there with the with the Loughbr,
0: the Loughborough lot. Obviously, you're a Loughborough student. Um, how ma- how many will be in that group that are out
1: there with you? Um, ten plus. Uh, everyone's kind of separate slightly everyone's getting to that point in the season where it's becoming a little more personal and individualized so people have got slightly different training plans but where we can we try and fit in um which which should still be quite a group of us so it's better than having nothing and it's always useful to have that people those people to train with here just just in a nicer place really
0: yeah of course and in that in that group and Loughborough is it? Is it quite competitive, or did, is it quite a nice gel where people help each other out?
1: Uh, it ebbs and flows. Uh, there's moments of competitiveness, and then moments of we all just want to help each other get better. But I think Portugal is one of those just get fit. So for us, it's just get the work done, turn up Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which are our, our session days, and uh, just hopefully see some sort of improvement from now till to the end in three weeks. I know some people are coming back straight for the 10K Euro trial, some are going straight into 5Ks, and then some of us, like myself included, are then going training elsewhere to get another stint in before we hit the track season later on in May. So everyone's slightly different, but we should all be pushing each other somehow.
0: And when you're, you mentioned there, you're gonna head on somewhere else, where, where are you heading to? I'm gonna go to uh,
1: I've heard it's just the most incredible place. Uh, I've never been before. Um, fortunately there's a british athletics camp which i'm very fortunate to be able to go on which makes sam ritz a lot more affordable than it would be so i'm going to head there for pretty much all of may uh get some stint altitude which obviously you don't get here in portugal so by hopefully combining the two i get a bit of heat bit of altitude and then i'm feeling ready to go by pretty much the end of may well, that's um the part of your
0: lifestyle now as a, as a professional athlete and we'll we'll talk about that that transition of how you've you sort of climbed the ranks now to literally being uh the, the global jet setter that you are now but I want to take it way back and I want to understand and, and our listeners will probably want to know as well where, where did sports start for you was it was it always athletics or, or were you were you mixed in with other sports and at what age did you really find find a passion
1: for it uh, sport was probably like at the front of my mind as soon as I could walk really it was always Saturday was always down the local football club Sunday was always the rugby club and that was every weekend for five six years up until about twelve and then you had to make the decision whether you did uh football move to Sunday and then you had to make the decision whether you played football or rugby so I chose football but at school it was always um football rugby cricket and I really enjoyed my cricket in the summer so I never really ran I just ran locally at a club um, just in the middle of the week down in Surrey at a place called Dorking and then they had a little grass track there which I remember I think it was like it wasn't 400 meters it was either just over or just under it was a bit of a weird one and then moved to Kent at the age of 13 and joined the local Invictories Kent Athletics Club which is where my coach, Peter, was and then joined there. And that was every Tuesday. And that kind of kickstarted me into running a bit more. There was a good crowd there, good group of us, quite a talented group as well. Um, and that made us all kind of push each other at that young age where you you don't care about splits and everything. You just try and batter each other in training and see who's see who wins the last rep, basically. And that kind of just continued a bit more. And it wasn't until the age of 15, 16, where I thought I'm okay at running here. I'm running twice a week, maybe one other easy run in the week. And I'm like coming top 10 in Kent races. So I kind of stopped the rugby, the football. I was too small for rugby anyway. And then the cricket kind of just took a back seat. And then from about the age of 17, it was like all guns, into running now, give it a bit more. And as I gave a bit more, I got better. So it kind of worked and made me enjoy it and then ended up where I am today. That's yes, sir uh, that's a great organic
0: story there. And I think one of the things we take for granted in the UK is our club system, where, you know, you Invicta, great club, great heritage, loads of good runners over the years. And 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 it kind of creates a pathway for you that you just keep turning up every week, twice a week, chasing the older guys generally. Um hoping that you improve from there but it sounds like you weren't overdoing it at an age where a lot of athletes may be doing too much too soon i.e 15 16 years old do you feel that that held you in good stead once you then eventually turned you know fully grown adult 18 19 20 because you'd maybe had a little bit of a, a, a a slower start to to your running journey
1: yeah i i think i wasn't it's not to say i wasn't doing sport i was probably doing sport five, six days a week, but it was just different sports. And I think that really held me in good stead. Just having that variability, like I'd like to say I'm probably quite quick now. And I think if I've been running five, six days a week without playing all those other sports that require sharp, fast movements, quick change, all that kind of stuff, then I might not have that now. So I I believe that's why maybe I have a bit more speed than others who maybe at the age of 13 and 14 just run five days a week and turn up and try and win every national cross, every English school is at juniors and intermediates where really it doesn't really matter. Um, And hopefully that will continue for me being able to hold on to that kind of sharper end. And as I increase the mileage now, I know I've got more scope to improve. And I look at some under 17s, under 20s who might be hitting 50, 60 plus miles now. And I'm thinking, I'd be more worried of someone who's running 35 miles and coming 10th at a national cross than someone who's running 60 miles and coming first or second, because it's the scope of improvement that they've got in the next couple of years that someone doing 30 miles really can just find that whole new level. And I think that's where I was able to kind of kick on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think during that period of your your life as well, when you're getting to your late teen years, into your early 20s, it's like improvement, can, can skyrocket and I think we've seen that with you and you're you're 21 now is that right yeah 21 so you're, st- you're still you're still a spring chicken in terms of your development and I was looking at your power of 10 and thinking you know obviously I knew as a fan you had a break great a breakthrough year last year but in my opinion your breakthrough year was actually the year before you know I saw that you went from 350 for the 1500 meters and you took your pb down to 339 that, mate what happened in that year like to 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 take that you weren't slow at 350 you know that's not a bad time in its yeah. own right like what what was it during that that 2021 year where you just went went to a 339 guy
1: I think it was that first year at uni changing my setup I changed coaches to Chris and Sonia at the uni a new environment of you go from club where you might be at the front And you've got guys chasing you to being at the back of that pack and you're chasing the guys in front. And it's a whole new kind of mindset that for me just helped and worked really well. And fortunately the training that was basically the Loughborough way, the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday just has worked for me. So I think that that year at uni just accelerated my whole running development. Um, I do think it's a bit of a, it doesn't show the truth, the whole truth because that, the year before was covid and i didn't run that summer really i did one race in september at loughborough because i'd been at uni for two weeks i was bored because there was no freshers and me and my flatmate luke we were like should we just race just why not let's do a lot Lough- a uh, charm would open so that's where that 350 the year before came so okay. i do think maybe if i trained quicker that might have been a 347 348 and then then the jump isn't as big as it as it looks, but yeah, that COVID year and then the year at uni were definitely what kind of made that jump look so impressive. And obviously,
0: we come out of the pandemic. Um, I mean, the global pandemic, as we all know, like it was it was crazy. There was no races really on. You had time trials from from runners doing doing five k time trials and world record times, <laughs> and it was it was a bit. The of only a... races
1: I remember were at Battersea with you. I would just watch some Instagram live of you on comms. Yeah. But- that's all I remember from that lockdown year. Just like Battersea, and maybe a couple of races around then. Just like five k, that was it. Yeah, it was a crazy time, mate. It was just, uh,
0: it was just like get what you could from a sort of race organizer perspective. Like, what can we put on that doesn't break the rules? I remember that first one we did it did at Battersea. The only people that were allowed in the track were athletes, officials, and each athlete was allowed a plus one, but they had to be a UK qualified coach so like it was super super restricted and we had people like lining the fences to watch it and I was just thinking the police are going to come through any second and shut this down but I think that what we learned from that whole time was there was some athletes that really did sort of put their head down and were consistent um and then yeah came out of the global pandemic and, and hit the ground running and that looks like that's basically what happened with you you know you you ran 332 last season which is a World class time. Um, I mean, there's not many British guys that have ever run that fast, so let's be real. Do you feel that there's been much change between 21 and 22, or you've just been consistent and you've been
1: carrying on with that Loughborough way? I think it is consistency, it's just stringing that extra year, having that extra year behind me, that extra year of growth, development, um, just everything together um is probably what helped and obviously i know i say it it was lucky being in that kind of race the environment the the 332 is a bit of a my next best time is 335 and i if i wasn't in a stadium with 30 odd thousand people surrounded by the fastest athletes in the world on a global stage then that time probably isn't as quick so it was part of the race that was allowed me to run that quickly but then but then everyone who runs quickly in Monaco, it's the same there because they're not they're running fourteen hundred and fifty meters. So, I mean, you you need to be you need to get yourself into the race to be able to run that time. So, I was fortunate enough to do that. But I do think it's just stringing back years, um, getting that consistency under the belt. Fortunately, I've been pretty much until last month. I've been pretty lucky with injury and not having to miss out too much time. So, I think all of that together just helps
0: consistency is key we hear it all the time don't we i it's think it's such a cliche but it is true and it's all it's all levels as runners as well like you've got yourself that like, you're on the world circuit and you've got complete beginners as well but consistency is 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 it's so paramount to improving um if i was to if i was to list these names out to you to you now i want to understand uh a feeling that you get from this and we're going to go way back to 1953 gordon perry I'm going to bring it forward to the 60s, Jim Ryan, 70s, Ian Stewart. Even further, it's David Moorcroft, Sebastian Coe, Steve Ovet. Who else have we got here? Peter Elliott. We've then got Hicham El-Garouge, uh, Bernard Lagarde, Asbel Kitrot, Jake Whiteman, Stuart McSwain, and now Matthew Stonia have won the MZ Car Mile, one of the most prestigious historic mile races, I'd say, in the world. First of all, I want, to, I want to understand. How does it feel that you can
1: say that you've won the MZ Carmar? Uh, that's it's definitely my greatest ever achievement so far. Um, but whatever my career goes from here, that will always be up there. It was just such a surreal moment. Like those names you've just listed, there was only really one name I knew that had won it, and that was Chris McGeorge in the nineteen eighties outside four minutes because he's my coach and he's always mocked me going oh one day one day and then I, I was there and I raced and I won it and it was just like it was crazy knowing knowing that I joined my coach and then actually reading about it seeing the list of the car wins it was like oh wow this this is actually quite a it's quite a good list of runners this isn't it um it was just crazy I I'll never forget that evening. It was at the night of the 10Ks, which in itself is an amazing event, and I think they did so well to put on what is really a pre- prestigious mile at such a prestigious event. And it made it—I think it made the event better. It ele- elevated the 10Ks and it elevated the mile. Um, so I was just such a such a privilege to be part of it, and then to go on and win it, and even beat some of the names in that race. I beat Pierce. Piers, George Mills, Koskoran, others as well. It's just, just crazy. And like, I still struggle to describe it because it just, I was on the start line and then I won. It It doesn't really make sense to me how I won, but yeah, it was just crazy. Well, the race itself, and if anyone's not seen it,
0: please go and find the footage. I watched it and to this day, I have no idea how 30 meters out you win that race. I, me, that's, I don't understand either. I don't know the, the physics behind how you get up and win that race because 30 metres out, you're nowhere to be seen near the front of the race. And then it's almost like you just pull out, skyrocket.
1: Talk me through that last 100 metres. I think the best way to describe it is I've probably come off the top bend hitting DRS behind Piers and George. <laughs> and I've got like... the braking zone and i've just kept the drs open i've just flown straight past them probably missed the corner everything gone into the barriers but (laughs) that's kind of how it felt i remember i had to check my stride of about 40 meters to go and as soon as i checked my stride to pull out I thought it's just too late um and then i just went to the line and i thought it was so close on the line i wasn't sure who'd won between myself and copeland so I had to wait a bit. I didn't want to celebrate and then look like a fool once yeah. I'd lost. So I had to wait for the result, which took a bit. And then once it came through, I just didn't know what to do. Um, I've never really won a race that big in front of a crowd like that. So it was a bit emotional. And then it kind of, kind of realised what I'd done and then was able to kind of enjoy the rest of the night.
0: Yeah, that's the great thing about the 10K PB is you can get your effort out of the way and then you can, yeah, just uh, chill out on the embankment. But uh, I mean, it's one of those races where you look down that list of athletes and it, it puts you on a pedestal, doesn't it? Because it's like, there's so many athletes on that list that have gone on to do great things. Do you feel Do you feel any external pressure
1: from winning that event where you're now expected to, to go on? Um, not particularly. I think the best thing about winning that event is every race that I did for the rest of the year when... Um, when you're on the start line and they announce the names, it gave gave me something that actually, like, I'd achieved. Like, they, I remember but commies, I think he goes before me, it was Gourley or something. And then Jake, obviously, Jake had just won Worlds. And if it goes from Jake Whiteman, world champion, to Matt Stonia, English schools, <laughs> Ken schools champion. <laughs> it need- so the MC car actually gave me something that could actually be used when announcing my name. So it kind of saved me for this rest of the season and saved all kind of announcers round, round Europe, really. So I needed it to be fair for the rest of the season it gave it gave you a cv for the diamond league circuit it did, it did.
0: <laughs> brilliant excellent and well, you, met, you mentioned earlier um I would t- spoke about earlier on the call and, and before we started recording about you know the fact that you know you're now a professional athlete and as fans and i'm sure that you may be able to relate to this because you've only been a professional athlete for a very very short period so far is that we only see athletes in the races so we see the high or the low they they run well They don't run well. That's all we see. We see very limited bits on social media, maybe training sessions and whatnot, or Strava, but we don't see what the circuit looks like. I suppose what I want to ask is where you've gone from being a national leather athlete to now a professional athlete for Nike, traveling the world with diamond leagues, championships, et cetera. What does your lifestyle look like now compared to what it would have looked like two or three years ago? What are the main changes for you?
1: um i think it's the focus and the realization that it it's a job now and it's real and this is what i want to be doing but it is also what i am doing full-time now um it's realizing that i'm not so for example my family have just gone to south africa on holiday and last year i went with them whereas like this year no i can't i can't go on safari i can't go on holiday there now i've got to train i've got to come here go to San Maritz, and I'm very lucky to be able to go to these places. But it's that realisation that I've got to be selfish for me now. It's an individual sport and I need to run well. Um, so I need to make those choices that are going to benefit myself now. So I think it's being a bit more selfish and cutthroat with what you're doing and how you're going about life. But then it's also realising that what I did to get myself to that professional contract I don't need to change what I was doing. I don't need to change any of my setup. So I'm still at Loughborough, still living in a uni house with like uni mates and will be again next year. Um, still going about uni work. I'm splitting my year, so I'm still going to be at university next year. So it's about changing those fine details and thinking, okay, how am I going to improve here, here, what can I do? Um, but the actual kind of the overall part is to kind of keep the same base keep what i was doing what made me get to that point and kind of keep going at that if that makes sense
0: absolutely i was just thinking cool we're, we're in the rest of the rest of the, the bucks field are in trouble if you enter it then
1: i <laughs> uh, can't can't disclose that information we had a oh, bit of such a such a that's such a leading uh, answer. A bit, of, a bit of politics at the uni shall we say as to whether or not i'm doing bucks but uh I don't yeah I'm not doing bucks this year I've done what I did for the cross-country team we won for the first time in 19 years which which was amazing but again that's one of those instances where is bucks going to help me possibly make world championships and we've had to think that decision and at this moment we don't think that is going to help maybe get to the best so we're not gonna we're not going for bucks outdoors this year and it's those little things that last year I did do it but now this year it's just those fine details of okay, what's going to be better, going to San Maritz or spending an extra four or five days in Loughborough just to do three rounds of fifteen hundred in three days, and that's kind of that selfishness that some people might frown upon. But I think if they're in the same position, they'd understand.
0: Yeah, you've moved, you've moved on, mate. Like you've elevated, and and you have to be selfish in the sport. It is an individual sport at the end of the day, as you as you rightly say. Um, there's a famous saying um, in all walks of life and all different industries of work that once you start getting paid to do something, you lose your passion for it. Do you feel that that's relevant for you, that the fact that now you're paid to run and it's now your full-time job? Do you do you look upon athletics and running every single day and training every, every single day any differently, or are you still in that honeymoon period of, I'm getting paid to do this, this is this is amazing?
1: Uh, I think I'm still in that honeymoon period. Uh, it It's just those little moments, you just do something and go like, Wow, but I get paid to do this, yeah. um, which is such a surreal thing, and you don't really kind of, you can't really picture that until it happens in a way. It's just, it's just crazy, and I would never have thought I'd have that feeling. So every time I do feel it, it really does, like, fills me with pride and confidence, and like the belief to keep going at it because it is something that I want to continue. But I do think I'm also quite good at shutting out the the work slash athletics which yes it's work but i also love it um to actually kind of turning off and when i'm at home or chilling i'm chilling when i'm having a friday rest day that i'm not thinking about running i'm not watching running i'm not listening to podcasts about running it's it's nothing to do with running and that really does keep me kind of fresh and not kind of just consumed just in the whole running environment pretty much yeah running running can especially at university running can be a bubble that you can get stuck it in can eat you up and yeah. it's about getting that balance especially somewhere at loughborough if you're living with runners as well it can be hard to kind of get out of that bubble but you, you need to learn and it comes with time as well three years now at uni i've learned to kind of escape that good excellent
0: that's 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 brilliant and uh you mentioned there about uh you know now you're a professional athlete professional contracts great great to see that you signed for the best brand in the world nike we're all on board with that first yeah absolutely um so you know signing for nike global brand biggest brand in the world um at what point last year did that officially transpire was that after emzy carmark where did that fall in your season
1: um the first time I met Adam, who's like the Nike manager for, for the UK, Big was British Champs. Um, and that was I just was very fortunate to get a bit of kit, a couple of dragonflies. And then it wasn't until commies, and I think a few heads turned and went, oh, maybe we should show some interest in this guy. And then it wasn't until Euros a couple of weeks later where I met um, with Adam and had a few conversations. and And then it kind of progressed and kind of signed on the back of euros just so i could just in time so i could start wearing the kit for lausanne and the new york mile yeah i think better to both of us um so it made sense and i'm not going to say no to wearing nike elite kit for a couple of races at the end of the season
0: yeah absolutely i remember being being at a meeting with Sats last year um it was the birmingham diamond league at the new stadium i think i think it was that one and um we're chatting away and I, I was like, cool, that Stoney is going well, isn't he? And he, he just looked at me and he went, yeah, yeah, he'll be all right." And I was just like, I was like, get
1: in there. I know, I knew straight away, I was like, brilliant, that's excellent. So when you signed, I was buzzing, I was buzzing. I always told, like, I told my agent Sam, he's, he always gave me a bit of stick or just laughed at me when he threw throw about these ideas and brands And everything. I was like, no, 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 bigger, better, can we wait till... <laughs> And I didn't even know what I was going to run, but I, just, I know you always have that tiny bit of hope that you might do something pretty cool, and then kind of transpired, and then kind of all blew up from obviously that commies race. Yeah, so, yeah, that was that was the moment that I think heads turned. No, nah, excellent. You, well, to be honest, the way the way the sport is at the moment,
0: especially the 1500 meters, and we'll, we'll chat about this in a sec. To to to, to wear Nike, you, you have to be running at least 3:32. Surely, like you have to be like. Well beaters, don't you? That's the that's the level the sport is at at the moment, and I want to get your thoughts on the state of 1500 meter running at the moment in in, in the men's races. It's the era we're in right now is one of the most competitive, especially in my lifetime. It's now at the point where you've got Jakob front running whatever he wants. In a way, you know, he can run a he can front run a three twenty eight, three twenty one, three twenty nine to medal at a major games if it's a quick race, which we're commonly seeing now um you are basically gonna have to run sub 330 each runner will have their strengths when they stand on the start line i wanted to get your understanding of do you run to your strengths as a 1500 meter runner or do you run the race that you're running so for example if you're running in like a diamond league monaco is it a case of right just get on the rail hang on and try and finish well or do you stand on every start line you're like look i know i'm strong in this area run to my strengths How, what's the thought process there especially as you're now a pro
1: yeah i think you've got to pick and choose your races i think if you you're going into a british champs final versus a monaco 1500 it is almost a different event like the monaco there will be a time trial where you literally do want to stick on the rail run exactly 1500 meters tuck in don't do anything that expends any energy because you know it's just going to be quick fast even at the back, you're going to be running quickly. Whereas a British champs might be running 50, probably 15 seconds slower sometimes, where you have to be nearer the front. You might run 1,520, 1,530 metres, and you know you need to be in the right position at 200 metres to go, because more often than not, the fastest 200 is going to be the, the person that wins the race, or at least makes that top three. So I do think you have to pick and choose the race and know... It what races that you're going to go in with the attitude of running that time trial and which races you're going to go in knowing that you've, you've got to have the fastest last lap. Um, Sometimes it's a lot easier said than done. And you know, you're going to go into a race and run the time trial, which was pretty much my kind of mindset at Lausanne last year, but within like 500 meters, it's so strung out and you're going around a bend and you see Jakob halfway down the next straight. And it's just, it just kind of hurts already and just, kind of ruins your mental capacity to know that he's jogging 50 metres of front and you're flat out still with two laps to go. So it is easier said than done, but you do go into those races knowing, right, this one's going to be a time shower. This one's going to be a tactical kind of burn-up.
0: I think that if you was to look along the start line at a Lausanne or a Monaco, like you're you're one of the newest Pro athletes in these lineups, you know, Jakob's been basically a pro since he came out of the womb, mate. You know, he's he's been a pro since he started because of his brothers and everything. So they've been around the circuit, you know that they've they've put that that pro work in for many many years, and you've still got that improvements come, no doubt. But how do you? Because I spoke to Jake Wyman about this uh, uh, probably about two years ago, and I said like, you know, can you beat can you beat Jakob? Is he is he beatable? And he had a mindset of yeah i can i have to think i can because if i think that i can't i'm never going to do it with you being in the infancy of your your professional career do you stand on the start line and look at someone like jacob or look at um, a katir or anyone else who's a world leader and look at them and think i can beat you
1: today What what's your thought process there um to be brutally honest at the moment if i'm on the start line with jake jacob mo katir Probably, they're probably the only three where I go on the side. I go, I'm just not gonna. I don't see a way in which I can beat you today unless you fall over. I I just don't think I'm quick enough in the last lap, and I don't think I can stick with you in a 3:30 race to be able to beat you. And I don't, I don't know if that's a bad mindset. Maybe some will come and say to me, "Look, you have to believe that you can beat them." But I'd say, well, I think you are being a bit silly there. Jakob's not he's literally unbeaten from apart from one race last year where Jake beat him and Jake's literally the best in the world. So anyone else I'd like to think that I can beat them on my day and maybe if they have a bad day, but maybe this year, hopefully if I kick on a little more um, I might be able to close the gap and I don't want to say I'm shooting for medals at a global champs or going to go and run 328 and beat Jacob at Monaco, but just to even be, half the distance to close the gap or even a third of closing the gap, I'd take that because to me, I know that's a big improvement. And if I'm, like you said, I'm 21 at the infancy of my career, if I can close a third every year in three years, then I'll be with them and I'd take that. So at the moment, I probably do stand on the start line, I think not beating Jacob today, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. This time last year, I wasn't going to say I was standing on the start line of commies. So, It's hard to really know, but yeah, I don't think I would beat them this year.
0: I think that's a very mature answer, if I'm honest, mate. I mean, you hear a lot of time like athletes just like, yeah, race to win, everything I do, I win. If I don't win, I failed. Whereas, in the 1500 meters, where the the way the races are run now, where it is literally like time trial a lot of the time, especially especially on on like the Diamond League circuit, the error for margin is so fine. So making those subtle decisions to say, look, if I can just improve year on year. Then I'm getting closer and closer to the front, whereas you could make the decision of trying to win every single race, and ultimately you sign in your own death warrant in a in a three twenty eight, three twenty nine, three thirty race, right? Because you know you've gone off too fast or whatever. Um, So I think that's a that's a really mature answer. Now, away from the track, let's talk about other passions. So, what does Matthew Stonier like to do that is not running? What are your passions? Where do they lie?
1: Um. First of all, uni. I do have to do uni work every now and then. As painful as it is sometimes, it's not a passion. It's just <laughs> you just got to do it. Um, I love playing golf with the like the Loughborough group. Obviously, there's a few of us runners, so we're not we're not amazing at golf, but we like to try it. We're just so competitive. You just want to get better at something, and golf is one of those things where it, it kind of drives that like competitiveness and just willingness to get better. So I like golf. I like watching all sports. Um, I'm quite big into NFL, cricket. Um, I do support Chelsea, which I probably shouldn't mention. Um, Sorry to hear that. I'm actually trying to source tickets for the Champions League to watch Madrid batter us 5-0. But yeah, my passion is basically sports. But other than running, I try to kind of stick out, stick away from the running, like, Otherwise, it just consumes me. Al- Alfie said that you'd say golf. He did say that you'd. you'd- yeah, it's it's so cliche now because I've said it a couple of times, but it it really is like if it's a Friday and you've got nothing to do, it's right. Let's go down to the golf course. And I probably sound like I'm the as much as I talk about it, I probably sound like I'm quite good. I'm not really that good, but it's something to do, and it's and- I do enjoy.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And um, do you play off handicap or are you not at that level yet? No, right, so that's that's one
1: of our main problems in Loughborough. We played a shocking course called Shelthorpe. It's probably the most humbling golf course. It's a par three course. The best way to describe it, it's got 17 holes. Um, that's kind of, that's just part of the, we call it the Shelthorpe kind of mystique. That's just part of the the legend of Shelthorpe. So if I can play in summer, but obviously summer's, Race season, so you don't have as much time to play. Um, that's kind of my go-to. I shoot if I could shoot eighteen over par, basically a one shot above each heart, I'd take that. That's kind of like my. That's a that's a decent round.
0: All right, Matt. So we've spoken about a variety of topics. You know, your rise to stardom, your new contract. You know, the circuit, all of your treatments, etc. But we're going to get away from all of the long stuff and all the long form questions. And I'm going to fire some quick fire questions at you um we do this in all of our episodes and we want to try and put you on the spot to try and get a real sense of what's going on between the ears all right so don't overthink it just fire me your answers so number one if you had a magic wand what's one thing that you change in athletics the crowds hmm i'm gonna ask another one what do you mean by that
1: getting more crowds
0: <laughs> more crowds okay good fill, fill more seats like that yeah. excellent um what's the best thing about being a professional athlete money <laughs> <laughs> yes mate now we're talking that's what we that's what we're here we're paying bills okay um what's the worst thing about being a professional athlete reductions that's such a good answer mate so um for anyone that may not know what that means you want to give us a a sort of explanation of what that is
1: yeah basically a pressure on you to run well and if you don't run well that money that i mentioned in the previous question might get reduced it's cutthroat this game isn't it yeah um what's
0: a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear
1: most runs aren't fun yeah Fair enough. Fair enough. Not That's most, fine. a lot of runs. You you won't enjoy every run.
0: And finally, what can we expect from you in twenty twenty three in your running? A new PB. Okay, I'm excited to see it, Matt, It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Great chat. Thank you so much for joining the running much. podcast. And uh, yeah, mate, we're going to be rooting for you on the on the on the side of the track. And let's uh, let's hope that we can uh, see it, see that fifteen hundred meter PB come in.
1: Cheers.
0: Cheers, mate. See you around. Thanks very much.
1: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your
0: hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off,